Hello, Free Money family. Sloan here with our annual year in preview slash review, where Ashby and I pick apart the millions of individual news events that made up this year, 2021, and distill them into just a few main themes that we're looking forward to see develop and play out in 2022. What themes exactly? Well, I'm glad you asked. For the first time ever, you'll find each of the things we talked about enumerated with timestamps in the show notes of this episode. Think of it as our gift to you. Now, you might be thinking, but I didn't get you anything. But of course you did. The time you spend with us on each episode of this podcast is a profound gift that's already brought new friends into both of our lives, lots of laughs, and a very fun way of staying connected. So in lieu of the regular longer intro where I tell you about all the forthcoming goodies, and don't worry, they're all still there. The questions from listeners, even the gardening tips, don't worry. Um, I'd like to make sure that you hear my thanks. Um, I'm so grateful to you for the time that you spend with us, and I'm really looking forward to spending more of it in, in the future. So that's it for me for this year and for this, for this intro. I'll see you on the other side of the disclosure. Take it away, Sharkbait. Ahoy, free money podcast listeners. I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the disclosure pirate, and I'm here to set you straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do nay reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients of Invest Vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted, and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Welcome to the Free Money Podcast, where we give you the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investing that you, you crave. I mean, the number one gardening and investing podcast out there. It is. And it's the end of the year. And this is where mm. we kind of reflect on, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? I mean, part of me it thinks was it, was, a year. it was a year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost over. Um, and so here we are. One quick thing um, I realized this year, Sloan, is... We don't sound very good when we are being played at 2x speed because I was I was checking that out. I was like going through some old podcasts and be like, what were we talking about? And I was getting the 2x going. I was mortified at how I sound. And so part of me was like, can we come up with like a little strategy here for like pushing people to slow us down? 1.25. I think we're still we still sound OK. 1.5. Yep, yep. We start to sound pretty bad. I mean, what was it like the, you know, there was this moral panic. I remember like I wasn't alive for this, but in the seventies about like, if you played certain rock albums backwards, they had, uh, I mean, I think we should take it. I think it that back. was getting the lead out. Wasn't that Zeppelin? I think that was Zeppelin. Yeah. Like, I mean, wh why don't we encourage people to listen to our podcast backwards? Yes. <laughs> the other idea I had was imagine 
if we speak really fast for some parts of the podcast, then it's like, oh, oh it's too fast. Like if we speak really fast, mm-hmm. they literally won't be able to listen to X speed is too fast and dramatically. <laughs> they're not going to understand what we're saying. And so then eventually they're going to have to slow down and then they get us at mm. the appropriate speed. I mean, I remember I, I went through a listening to podcast at 2x speed phase uh, briefly, and then I was just like really panicked about everything for, for a little yeah. bit, and I couldn't understand why. Like, it was really not good for my anxiety. No. Uh, you start to sound like the chipmunks. <laughs> Starts like Everyone sounds like the yeah. chipmunks. Everyone's really excited about everything. I mean, it's like, it's kind of a weird, a weird long-term vibe. Uh, we should put a health warning. I think we should. That'll... If you're listening at yeah. 2x, you're going to have to like do a lot more meditation. Yeah, because technically, I think going back through some of them, I realized that we are enlightenment as a service. Do you remember that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Holy shit, I forgot about yes, that. Yes, I think. Yes. yes, enlightenment as a service. Um, if you go back and you look at some of our prior pods, you'll hear. Anyway, <laughs> look <laughs> format for today. I was just gonna like spill the beans and say we're gonna. This is our end of the year closeout, and so we have yep. no guest. Yep, and we're just you and me. It's the p. It's the preview slash review uh, of the coming year. I mean, and I guess you know it is a, a sort of a pregnant time to take a pause and look, you know, and, and say kind of like what's important to me, what was important in the last year, what's important looking forward. Yeah, you know, um, it, it, it like it's a really good time for goal setting. Um, and a really good time to just sort of ponder the void and uh, experience ennui. That's deep. For those that don't <laughs> speak French, ennui means boredom. Is that what you mean by it? Yeah, I mean, like, basically boredom and despair. I think, doesn't ennui have, like, a tinge of despair? <laughs> it could. Yeah, it could. It could be despair. Ennui could also be, like, I'm just bored as shit. Um, but I have to tell you, Sloan, so this is the first time we're going to do this segment, which is random shit. I liked on Twitter in 2021 (laughs) because I was going back through my Twitter feed to be like, what, 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 like what happened this year? It's an interesting, like, Mm -hmm. that's where I turned to, to be like, what did I tweet? What did I like? I I mean, it's a function of Twitter. It's like the diary. It's a microblog. It's like a diary. I mean, and the, I, have, I was going back through it. I have to say, like, I found some things I liked that I thought I would share. Um, these are the things I tweeted. These are the things I hit like the like button. On, ah, okay? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a few of these that I thought I would just read out, you know, for people to just get a sense of the things that Dr. Ashby Monk thinks is worthy of yeah, a the like. Really yeah, really the, the elevated, you know, <laughs> kind of social media habits of uh, – of Dr. A. Yeah. So um, at Katie Hannigan, um, and I'm quoting her tweet now, uh, people mm. who intermittent fast love to chat about it. Maybe try intermittent shutting the fuck up. <laughs> I, this must be really close to home for you in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I mean... Oh, people talk about it all the time. It's hilarious. Um, next one is an anonymous Reddit tweet that apparently I liked enough to, to like it. Somebody said, and it was one of those tweets. It's like a picture of a Reddit. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One day, someone will think about you for the last time in eternity. You will be forgotten by the world and the universe. And underneath that tweet was a response, not if I eat the Mona Lisa. I mean, you know, you sent me this and I was like, you know, she's always looked delicious. Uh... <laughs> I don't just like that one. I love that one. Because lo- it's like, yeah. actually... You really could be remembered forever if you ate the Mona Lisa. You'd, be, you'd have destroyed artwork, though. But 
I mean, but like I, the most overrated artwork in the history of mankind. Let's be real here. I mean, you know, no no offense to Leo, he did lots of great stuff, but like you know, this postage stamp, come on. I know it. And the thing about that one though is, I think that is like the entire like premise for that movie, Jackass. Like, can we just do things that are so insane that like people pay attention and remember us? Yep. Every time I think about Jackass, I think about the fact that my mom was like a classy lady, but she would just get on inexcusably horny for Johnny Knoxville every time he came up. <laughs> <laughs> like, just be like, oh yeah, he's a, that's a, Do you know that I think they're doing one. another one? I feel like I saw a yep. preview for that. I don't think I... You know, Steve-O, Steve-O is sober now and an evangelical Christian. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he's running for office. Yeah. Uh, last one that I'm going to share with you. I have a few more here, but I don't want to do too much. I wanted to share with you something that Muffin Chips at Muffin <laughs> Chips posted. Uh, I'm trying to give credit where credit's due. So long. Yep. At yep. Muffin P- Chips posted an obituary that was written written by an artificial intelligent bot. Um, <laughs> and so the, the, the purpose of this, art, this obituary is to see how well um, the AI machines actually can write. So I'm just going to read you the obituary. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll just get, like, your feedback at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Brenda Tent. Brenda Tent retired from living at the age of old, (laughs) surrounded by family and natural causes. (laughs) A librarian from birth, Brenda was an avid collector of dust. She had had a sweetheart and married her high school. (laughs) She loved having hobbies and helping her sons to be disadvantaged youths. She had no horses, but thought she did. The church gave her a choir because she sang like bird and looked like bird. And Brenda was a bird. She owed us so many poems. The funeral will be held in 1977 at heaven. In lieu of flowers, send Brenda more life. You know, I mean... I, <laughs> I don't think we need to be afraid of the AI robots. I, I don't think so. You know, it's funny. There's this, like, among AI researchers, there's kind of this big question about, like, when can we get AI to write actually funny jokes? Yeah. Uh, you know, like, because it's, you know, that humor is kind of supposed to be something that you just can't fake. But, I mean, Jesus. clearly, yeah. they're doing it. In lieu of flowers, send Brenda more life is probably the greatest <laughs> ending of an obituary. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, stop what you're doing and bring her back. She owed us poems. Oh, she owed us poems, everybody. Yeah, I mean, this bird. Yeah, and by the way, I didn't read that wrong. She sang like bird and looked like bird. And Brenda was a bird. She was bird. No, then then they added the uh for the she was uh. Anyway. I mean, you can put the rest up on the on the blog. I'll put it up know, on the blog. I'll a, send you my list. You know, uh, or yeah, you can just the, look uh, for my likes at Sovereign Fund. Mm, and then you'll see some yeah. weird shit in there. I I think, like, you know, the li- the likes are a real worthwhile place to, to, to spec for anyone. I, I love to see who people are following. Me too. Uh, I do that. I look you know, at it a lot. Oh, yeah. last one. I mean, so, Kennedy T. Cooper. Mm, Can't mm. stop thinking about how the seventh largest pyramid on Earth is a... Bass, Bass Pro, Pro Shop. Shop. <laughs> Did I already say this on the podcast? God, no, no, I mean this is this is a you know this is what's I mean, out is there. Oh, like is this it? is like <laughs> I didn't know that. To me, I was like, 
that is and it looks so freaking big like there's a it, it's it's nuts. it's huge it's huge i have you ever been to a bass pro shop yeah they are wild the, they're i mean like i i remember visiting like a friend of mine was clerking for somebody in in oklahoma and we went to a bass pro shop down there and the thing that stands out most from the experience is that they had purses that have uh, space for a handgun. Oh, um, yeah. that are actually hmm. pretty cute. <laughs> All you need to do to have your deterrence is carry the purse. You don't even need yeah. the gun in it. People see the purse, they'll be like, "Oh, there could be a gun in there." You know, that's a great point. And, and, and honestly, like my purse, it needs more compartments. It does. Like, every time I, you know, it's sort of like it just is this amorphous thing, and I'm like excavating it. You know. Um, I need, I need a place for a handgun sized object. Um, I feel like there's a Seinfeld joke where he's like women in their purses, like just raking through like pouring it on the table, raking their hands through it. Um, I mean, it it do be like that sometimes. It do be like that. We do be having disorganized purses. (laughs) So news, we're going to do the news and then we're going to do the trends. But first there's some news that relate to the trends. I thought I'd hit you with three Mm, quick news items. Trendy Trendy news. news. Um, I feel like we've been talking about this one for the entire year of 2021, and that is CalPERS is getting closer to appointing a new chief investment officer. They announced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. Um, yes, they announced that they are holding their second round interviews for the CIO, and the candidate should start in March 2022. And then trying to get ahead of why it's been so hard to hire somebody into this job. The press people, I believe, were saying nobody wanted to move their family in the middle of COVID. And so 2022 mm. is the is the moment where we should be seeing the new chief investment officer of the biggest pension plan in America starting their job. And, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of quash the speculation now. It's. Uh, it's not me. Um, you I, know, <laughs> I was thinking it might be, but okay. Yeah, I, I like I. You know, it's just invest vegan is too too important to me, uh, and uh, like I also don't want to move my family to Sacramento in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, no, I hear you. We'll see if it, we'll see. I mean, you know, they say this person will be in the job by March. I'm, it's one of those jobs that like we probably know the person already. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it's it's one of those things too where like. They'll be in the job for by March, but and and hopefully because the memes around this job are are now so well established that it's like the hardest job in asset management. Yeah, um, you know the person coming in will be somebody who likes that and kind of wants the fight. You know, that's right. In fact, that was one of the tweets I put out, which is that the new chief investment officer has to pass the Kobayashi Maru test from which it, Starbuck. Which, that's like that. Yeah, that's the impossible situation. Exactly. Right? Look yeah. it up. The Kobayashi Maru. It's the, it demonstrates your ethics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's a pretty hard job. So we want people to be willing to sacrifice themselves <laughs> for the good of the state. Maybe metaphorically, maybe literally. I don't know. I think that California should do something kind of like Ender's game where they take uh, prom- like children who have made money trading cryptocurrency should be sent to a special ca- camp in space. Uh, where they are subjected to a mess of psychological trials, and then at some point are, you know, kind of, it turns out mm. that they've been put in charge of CalPERS, uh, you know, like without their knowledge, all Ender's game. Not to give that book away. <laughs> I think you just gave it away. <laughs> That's amazing. So we're now plotting an Ender's game style 
you know, child employment under the guise of gamification, you know? Yeah. Like somebody's going to be playing their Robin Hood account and little do they know they're actually managing Calper's money. <laughs> is that what you're saying to me? That's what I'm saying. This yeah. That's actually what... like the last Starfighter. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? No, I oh, haven't. Oh my God. He goes and plays the video game. He gets the high score and then they're like, we need you son. Um, this is my dream. I mean, you know, I mean, this is, I think, how you build a pipeline of candidates to to do that job. Yeah, you know, um, and like California, land of innovation, or so we have been told. True, I mean, you know, this could be <laughs> under the guise of some alien project. Anyway, next bit of news: Calsters is paying its chief investment officer. Calsters is the same is the other big plan in Sacramento. They're paying its chief investment officer a bonus this year of $1.1 million. Mm. Very nice living if you can get it. All you yep. had to do was return <laughs> $65 billion in profit this year. Small little sum. Small, um, nothing, yeah. And beat your benchmark by 2.22%, um, which is a a above benchmark performance of $5.4 billion. And hmm. that bonus vis-a-vis -vis that outperformance beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, tallies up to two basis points. Yep. Wow. Good job. Wow. That's the, that's yep. the size of our bonus pool. <laughs> I was yeah, exactly like this. The minute you said that, I was like, oh, gosh, what are the underlying hedge fund managers making on, I know, uh, right? you know, like a sub a subset of the strategic decision making, a subset of the risk taking oh, and, and, and frameworking? I mean, it's really just sad. The entire plan's uh, bonus pool to give them credit is 0 0.25 percent. <laughs> okay? This is not two and 20. This is yep. zero and zero point two five. Um, Wait, so it's it's a quarter of a basis point? No, no, it's a quarter of a percentage point, which I think a quarter of, of, of the yeah. value add now. And the value of it, the value so add. So the, the benchmark hit 25%. Mm. They did 27.2%. Okay, so they had to be above the benchmark. And I'm sure it's a rolling thing. So they yep. don't just let you like walk away with big bucks in one year. So, but again, we don't do all the reading, you know, when we're reporting. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, yeah, it's, hey, you know, we do a lot of reading. We do a lot of reading. We can't read all of it. Yeah, you know. Last bit of news before we move into the trends to watch out for in 2022. The projections and the projections. I don't know what the... The digestions. The digestions, yes. Thank you, Sloan. The projections and the digestions coming up. Digestion. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. New Zealand Superfund has come out and said... They are going to think more deeply about how ESG can fit into their risk budget, which is hmm. really neat for me because I've been doing this big, long project on portfolio resilience. Mm. Um, we've done podcasts on resilience with Gene Rogers, who now runs all ESG yep. at the Blackstone. Um, yep. And the New Zealand Superfund, which I would argue is probably one of the, if not the, most thoughtful long-term. Guardians, yeah. yeah. Guardians, absolutely. The yeah. guardians of the New Zealand Superfund. Um, and so the chief investment officer, a guy named Gilmore, here's his quote. Right now, we're going through a process of trying to better integrate ESG considerations into our risk budgeting. And that's something that we'll continue to do over the next half a year or so. So my takeaway is in half a year, 
they will be implementing a resilient portfolio approach to portfolio construction, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'd be really interested to see how that works out because like, you know, when I think about it, like it's relatively easy to make yes, no decisions with ESG factors, yes. right? B or bad, not bad, bad, less bad, Th you know, those types of decisions, like shades of gray. Mm. Um, but when you think about tying it to like, you know, I mean, a risk budget, you know, traditionally in like a, like a risk parity framework or something mm. like that is like, you know, relates the volatility of the underlying asset to the allocation that's held in it. Um, and like, so I guess, you know, my question is, are we then saying, okay, well, if something is a sustainable asset, then we're going to take, we're going to give it more space based on that, not the underlying volatility. Um, yeah. interesting in part, because a lot of sustainable assets are sustainable energy assets, which have very low inherently underlying volatility, yeah. right? Like a solar farm or a wind farm or something like that. Um, so I may actually read that whole one, you know, when they come out with some details on it. Or you could read our fabulous paper. It's called the Manif oh, Manifesto yeah. on Portfolio Resilience. And the reason I point out that we do have a manifesto on this topic is it really, like you kind of raise a really interesting point, which is like, first of all, the, the volatility metric will tell you that something that drops 10% and then recovers 10% is riskier than something that drops 10% and recovers 3%. Yep. Okay. So... The thing that you actually want is the thing that recovers fully, that has that resilience. And so in our work on this topic, we're trying to kind of integrate that concept of recovery. So it's like you absorb the shock, you recover from the shock, you learn from the shock, and all mm. of that should be flowing through into your thinking of risk and how you're managing this portfolio. It doesn't yet for most institute, well, all institutional investors don't think in these terms yet. Yeah, but when people ask you why are you building an ESG-based, you know, portfolio construction, your answer could be should be resilience. And you know, there's other answers you could give, but from an investor perspective, I think that is probably the kind of easiest one that like links risk management, links long-term investing, links ESG into a kind of coherent framework. That makes it. Yeah. I mean, like, that's certainly the way that I think about it, um, you know, and like and I think, too, like, you know, resilience is important as distinct from statistical volatility, because like, you know, look, a lot of these assets that are more fringy will be kind of a liquid. Right. Yeah. And like we're recording this on December 21st. The markets have been puked on um, oh, I didn't look today. Is it bad today? It's not like today it's recovering. Um, but like over the last maybe uh, five, 10 trading days, you know, we've seen, I mean, some stuff is down like 40%. Um, yeah. a lot of SPACs are down 40%. Um, you know, so like the, you know, is the question, um, like, you know, how, what's the worst that you can get on a given day or what's the experience of an investor over, you know, multiple cycles or more or, or longer time horizons. I think resilience captures that yeah. statistical wall doesn't. I love that. And and the other thing that New Zealand said I, I should mention as well, which is really fascinating because so much of our podcast has been on impact. Um, mm. They've said that they're going to start tracking the, the outcomes that their investment decisions are contributing to in addition. So, so most institutional investors, mm. just for your, the listeners to understand, they think about how the world affects their portfolio because their mandate is to think about returns and delivering pension funds. 
Well, yep. And if you hear screaming in the background, this is crazy as children again. Um, <laughs> it's just the children just the, I've tied up. Yeah, dang it! You're screaming back there. Everybody should be okay. Um, <laughs> but now, now New Zealand is going to start tracking the like what their investment decisions are doing to the world, which is a next level kind of calculation. And that's where like Sam Duncan of Net Purpose and all the work she's doing is so important. Yep. Because that's about tracking the outcomes. And then once you start measuring that, you might learn that like, hey, those outcomes are correlated with these performance outcomes. And that's when you really start having that next level unlock of long-term kind of oriented performance in an investor. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say too, is like from a, you know, like a retail standpoint, the retail clients I have, uh, have been like, you know, it's actually a lot easier for me to deal with this volatility stuff, knowing that my companies are doing stuff in the world that I care about. Yeah. Um, you know, so like next level calculation, but also like a real enabler, a better investor behavior. Um, you know, Absolutely. Which I guess is a, I guess that's a big trend. I guess that's a, that's an effortless and perfect transition to the big trend. Segment. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Holy cow. Do we, we don't have a little, uh, sound bite, do we? Uh, oh. should I do one? Uh, Welcome to the 2022 <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to 2022, where Ashby plays sound effects off his cell phone. And we find, I mean, like, uh, you... <laughs> if you know, will, you know. Yeah, will, will the disruption ever cease? What's your number one trend of the year? Clean. Clean and green is the trend, and it comes out of 2021 commitments many of which mm. are kind of mind-boggling and I thought would pr probably not happen. And, and I'm so interested to see that they have happened, dare I say, pleased. I know that we are a very objective podcast. We, we do, don't experience joy. We here. try to describe uh, the world. We don't necessarily try to engage and change the world. Um, that's too normative and subjective. We are highly objective. But I will admit that seeing that Harvard has gone fossil-free, um, yep. All sorts of massive fiduciary bound investors have now made net zero pledges. It is, you know, Norway coming out and saying they're going to push every portfolio company to define their um, net zero plan. So I think, you know, if you thought that like 2021 with Glasgow and all this stuff was like a big step, this is just the beginning. We are about to see in 2022 and really beyond what these plans mean, right? Mm. Like you may say, I'm going net zero, but I promise you most of the institutional investors don't yet know what that means. You know, many of the organizations have said, we're going to go fossil free. They're still trying to put that puzzle in place to understand how can we do that effectively without, yep. by the way, creating, you know, using offsets or, or carbon credits. Um, but like, if you go out there and you look into the world of institutional investment, I, I defy you to find organizations that have bought carbon credits, but I think that's going to start happening in the same way you see institutions dipping a toe into the blockchain, DeFi, crypto world. We are going to start mm. to see some of these big long-term investors um, building a pipeline of offset type um, investments. Well, yeah, and, and hopefully even getting into carbon as an asset class. I mean, like, you know, there's exactly. like... I mean, apparently it was one of the hotter performing assets this year for people who, you know, look at such things. 
Um, you know, and it's got a whole bunch of like kind of bifurcated regional markets that kind of make it an ideal active investment opportunity for, um, you know, folks look, looking to put a lot of money to work. So, you know, very, very interesting. I wonder, yeah, I wonder what that, what the carbon credits, the voluntary market and all these offsets, wonder what they correlate with. And, you know, like, are these kind of uncorrelated returns? Do we just see these as hedging instruments? And the other thing that I'm seeing more and more companies here in the Valley think about is, and we should have, um, we should have some people on to talk about this or the different ways in which you can create offsets. Obviously you can plant trees mm. in my garden. Um, oh, I know the perfect guy to talk about offsets. You do. Perfect. Cause we yeah, we're going to yeah. plant, we got to get that person on to um, talk about how I can get offsets for my planting. Uh, yeah. and in particular yeah. <laughs> have people pay for the trees I put in my backyard, but beyond That's that, and my compost pile. I mean, I, <laughs> I want to get offsets for the solar I put on my roof. Like, can't you? Oh yeah. Can't you tell me like how much I've saved in terms of carbon and like hook hmm. me up? Hmm. Hmm. So I think I, you know. I mean, I would like to get offsets for just how much of a superior human being I am. You me know, too. Uh, like yeah. for just like you know modeling what it's like to be a decent person in the wild. You know, I mean, like that should be a karmic offset. Uh, you know, like I'll be a good person. So someone can be a douche, a douche Lord. Yeah. I think maybe we could have as part as like, as you begin to listen to this podcast, we have you link your energy consumption, uh, to the free money podcast. Then after listening to the podcast for 10 to 12 episodes, we can derive a difference in the amount of carbon you're emitting. Cause we so much free money, so much, you know, and so ultimately, <laughs> Ultimately, I think our podcast could be funded with offsets of some some shape or form. Uh, you're learning too much from the last blockchain episode about shit. Uh, <laughs> All right, all right. My my number one trend of uh, of the year is you know this is actually it's an acquisition that heralds something that I hope will be a big change. Okay. Um, you know, so not many people really you know made a bunch of noise about this, but Robinhood. Um, everyone's favorite gamified trading app bought something called Say Technologies. Um, what is Say Technologies? It is a uh, shareholder engagement platform that allows individual investors to uh, create questions for management and then upvote them and have, you know, like a Say Technologies person ask the questions on the earnings calls. It also allows people to vote their shares. Um, now, why do I think that's important? Well, obviously, no one ever votes their shares. The voting, I mean, as we heard from Andy Bahar not too long ago, you know, voting is too often controlled by these corporate interests like ISS and Glass-Lewis who vote with management a bazillion percent of the time. Um, if you're an institution, you can, you know, use as you sow service instead. But what I'm hoping happens is that the GameStop event of the next year is a shareholder revolt led by, by individual investors. That's amazing. And, and I think you're right that this is a key trend for 2022. I've seen two companies lately that are building new tech platforms to basically connect the retail world um, via their uh, institutional investment overlords into these company voting systems. So I actually yep. think this like um, empowerment of retail you don't need to go to Robinhood in order to do it. I, I think we're actually going to see the launch. I can think of two companies um, and we can put, I can send them to you and put them in the show notes or whatever mm. that are launching in 2022 
that are literally kind of doing what you're describing, which means there's three now. There's Robinhood and there's these two other startups that are like trying to help people, you know, vote their conscious conscience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's something that we have, you know, barely even scratched the surface of over the years. Right. You know, I mean, like we had, you know, Jennifer from Engine Number One come on and talk about the success that they had in getting a new slate of directors elected at, at Exxon, you know, but like, you know, if you think about the things that actually need to happen to affect a green energy transition to, you know, I mean, like you need people having, you need management teams to get access to a fundamental shift in consciousness about how they view their business that only comes through direct engagement with a shareholder base that is a little bit more muscular. That's right. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, big, big hopes for that uh, in, in the coming. Me years. too. And I just went into my little system here. I'll just say the two companies. One is called Troop. I don't know if it has a web presence yet, but the other one that's up and live and doing some of this already is called Tumelo, T-U-M-E-L-O.com. And, and it's so mellow, bro. I just realized <laughs> as I said it out loud what they were going for. Too mellow, man. We're trying to chill the shareholders out. Dude, let's bring <laughs> everybody down. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're up here. I need you, I need you down. Oh, you know? This is like the opposite of 11 on the dial. Yeah. This is a solid three and a half. Um, all right. My second major theme has to do with something near and dear to my, thought, my heart here, which is long-termism. Mm. Not only did Stanford launch this new research initiative on long-term investing this year, huge deal, covered in the news. Um, Do we know anyone involved in that effort? <laughs> <laughs> Can we have them on this podcast to talk about oh, <laughs> But aside from that ridiculous, huge news, Sloan, uh, the Long-Term Stock Exchange, which uh, basically we were a podcast, a subsidiary podcast yep. that what felt yep. like for a little while because we had so many people <laughs> um they've they had their two first listings the exchange launched um and and to me this is a sign like long-termism is now becoming mainstream and we're seeing these like tools and techniques for facilitating long-termism really take hold we had sequoia come out and launch their sequoia fund which is a, an attempt to use like a novel well novel hedge fund structure um, in order to facilitate <laughs> longer term and, and within the biggest investors on earth, I would say this, this theme is really taking hold. I don't know if I said this stat already, but I'll say it again on the pod. Um, according to the international forum of sovereign wealth funds, um, ESG in 2020 was being utilized by sovereign wealth funds, um, in decision-making, um, to the tune of about 25%. So a quarter of the sovereign funds were using it. Now we're um, in 2021, one year after that initial survey, the new number is 71%. That is a mega uptick in the amount yeah. of, um, of ESG that's being integrated. And so I think like, you know, if you ever were like, ah, this is baloney, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Not if you, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast at this point, you never thought that. But, you know, if, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast and you're going home for the holidays, you got serious ammo that this is legit. And, uh, and my kind of take on 2022 is that we're going to start to translate all of these long-term things into um, cash flows and damage assessments and all the stuff that like investors need, uh, you know, yeah. like 
the value of diversity on a board and, and what that means in terms of like diversity of thought and risk management. I, I think that's the next layer is that translation layer of this sustainability, this ESG, this long-termism into things investors today can understand. Yeah, I, I think that like for a long time, the problem with, you know, quote unquote, sustainable investing writ large has been that it's very easy to describe in theory what happens. And it's in fact, even easy to point to various premia that can be harvested uh, and, and alphas that can be kind of traced out. But translating it into practice is nebulous because like what you're doing is is in effect a synthesis of many different yes. factors, right? Like I said earlier in this that, you know, it's easy to make go, no go decisions, but like, you know, to do that, you're going, you know, is there diversity on the board? And also, are they uh, like doing something that's good for the world? And also, are they like hiring and retaining minority uh, talent? You know, and, and, and then like 75 different other versions of and also, um, yes. you know, and you need to really be able to, to map all that together. And like, I mean, at the end of the day, how do you prove the value of an open mind? Yep. I'm with you. You know? Um, yeah. Like that's like, and uh, yeah, I, I love that um, as, as a trend. I've got almost an opposite trend uh, for the coming year, which is that, uh, you know, a group of very, very intelligent scientists have actually given Earth a black box akin to the kind that they put on airplanes to record crashes. Um, what? Right. So, so the idea so when is... when we fall into the sun, they could pull the black box out? The idea is that this black box will trace our, our unfolding climate crisis as it evolves, recording data as a, uh, you know, that future civilizations can find and learn from. That is such a great premise for a sci-fi novel. Right? Oh. Right? Yeah. I, I, I know we're in the middle of a podcast. I'm literally looking out a window being like, oh, wow, this is too, that's too rich of a, like, a, I, of a story. I mean, it, and you can you can already see you know the plot of that story unfold. I mean, that's kind of why I put it in here is because like you know it's a it's a great ground for speculating about how such a message would be received. So, do you want to know how this movie is going to go? They're going to find that one satellite that like was traveling out through space, playing the nineteen seventies music and all that stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, yep. So that was a time capsule that we sent out. So. A million years from now, it's going to get to some other solar system. Some alien race will be like, oh, wow, look, we found this. And then they'll come here. They'll open up our times capsule. And then they'll have flashbacks and things like that. Yeah. Know? They're like, oh, we, we've we never heard of jazz. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> jazz. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, but like, I, I think that th these kinds of, you know, advocacy actions, I mean, it, it really like, you know, I, I guess, you know, this is a little bit of like the, you know, the Bushwick chick from central casting kind of point, but you know, it's a great use of art mm. um, to kind of help us transcend the boundaries of our day to day. Right. Kind of like the debt clock. And I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, where like you, you see, I mean, the debt clock is, is, you know, seems to be funded by the Koch foundation or something. I, like it, it's a little bit of like a, it has an agenda, you know, it has an the morality inherent or the you know the agenda underlying it is is questionable. But um, do you remember the you know, the doomsday clock related yes. to nuclear fallout or something? I think yep. they took that yep. down because we don't have that threat anymore. But oh no, they're still doing. Oh, it. are they? Oh shit. We're 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 like a minute from midnight. So. <laughs> <Jesus. laughs> we would get back a little bit. Uh, 
Well, I mean, the the nukes are still out there. Yeah, no, you're uh, right. You're right. They're out there, and now yeah. you know other places are getting a lot more nukes, and yeah, yeah, and we've got you know, the, I mean, so, but you know, I, I I think that it's it's instructive to sort of sit there and go, okay, so if I were to design a black box for whatever kind of enterprise I cared about, whether it's my company, my portfolio, my family, my life, my planet, what are the data points that I would put in there? Yeah. Um, right. Because like at a planetary level, you're looking at temperature and atmospheric CO2 co- concentration, maybe wealth inequality, polarization metrics like that. Um, but like the, I, I think, I just think it's kind of a cool place to take us at the end of the year to go, okay, so if I'm, you know, recording, not for me, not for decision-making, but for posterity, yes. uh, uh, you know, what would I want people to see? Yep. The funeral will be held in 1977 at heaven in lieu of flowers said earth more life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's we're going to have a robot, write Our final bit of the, uh, Oh man. Anyway, oh, we need a free money bot out there. What's your next trend? Last trend. This is my last one. I only had three for this. Hopefully me too. Okay. Me too. So it, it's, um, all right, this is going to be a little inside baseballs, but hopefully we we can get everybody excited about this notion of investment decision making shifting in 2022 formally from a process based model of decision making to a data driven decision making model. And let me explain what that hmm. freaking means. But if you go back through the history of professional investing, we have used process to manage our risk to manage our portfolios because most of the data and information existed in human heads and in libraries and in networks. And so we would set up decision processes. So delegation frameworks, all these different things where you would have to reconvene and have, oh, you need the approval of the CIO. Oh, we got to meet in the investment committee. And this process of decision-making was seen as a way of managing risk. Oh, you can't have any amount, you know, you can't be more than 10% of this fund. You can't have your asset allocation move beyond this. All of these you can think of as process-based decision-making because we never had access to the data that actually powered models. This is like, Mm. oh no, markets are efficient. And so we build, you know, capital asset pricing model. Like these are all top-down models, call it shortcuts for managing our portfolios through a process of decision-making. Turns out markets aren't efficient. You know, hedge funds know that. But how did hedge funds learn that? They got the underlying data. They collected Mm. alternative data. So Mm. as the technologized investor becomes real, quote it, um, put it, you know, just type that into the Amazon, see what comes up. Technologized. Lots of people are talking about it. A lot of people, at least two on this podcast. Uh, and, but, but the reality is you're now moving into this phase where you're getting the underlying data and you can actually start to design your portfolio from the bottom up. You don't need that top down thing. In fact, the top down is like an inefficient way of running your portfolio. If you think about what transformed human navigation, it was your GPS. You have one in your phone. Mm -hmm. Now we know where you are. And we can figure out where you're going. And we, you don't even need a shortcut anymore. Nobody's like, hey, I know a shortcut. People are like, what are you talking about? Just use your ways, dude. 
Like, yeah, nobody's bragging about shortcuts anymore. In the old days, people were like, oh, I know a shortcut. That was a big deal. That's been really hard for, you know, the, the world's dads. It's uh, been terrible. There. Yeah, we, <laughs> all, we all had shortcuts we were proud as hell of. And guess what? Those shortcuts usually took like 20 minutes longer, right? It just happened that, like, you know, there was no traffic on it. Yep. Anyway, in the era of personal navigation where you have the GPS, the bottom-up data, you get to navigate in a more efficient way. Well, that's my big prediction for 2022 and beyond. We are moving into this era of data. All the investors, huge projects around data from APG to Adia to, you know, all the Australians. Data is like a central focus of these organizations. They're building the data infrastructure. And on the back of that data, they will begin to plot new courses into the future. So that data-driven decision-making actually begins to allow organizations to, for example, hold less cash. You know, we would hold less cash because we weren't that confident in where we were and what my pacing was going to look like. Our liquidity, yep. more concentrated investments in managers. Well, if I don't know when you're going to do a capital call, I'll just hold more of you. But now if we actually have really good data on capital calls and the underlying assets, all that kind of stuff, we can go more concentrated. So this shift into the data-driven investment uh, decision-making, which is a function of technology, I think can have profound impacts on investment outcomes um, and, and thus the world. Yeah. Well, you know, and I would add, like, you know, just mechanistically, it's like, you know, if you think about how active management has been delivered historically, it's been through pooled investment vehicles, right? Right. Um, but we're in, we're now in a world uh, where in most cases, institutional investors have direct access to the underlying, whether through a separate account right. or an ETF, which is directly exchangeable to the underlying, right? So, um, you know, a lot of those capacity constraints and so on and so forth are, you know, based on supposed senses of illiquidity that come from the pool, not necessarily from, you know, the actual liquidity of the underlying assets. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, it's I, I you know, we love to see data. We love to see more data. And we love to see people doing bottom bottom up work because, you know, I like more often than not, I, I think that people are often using various asset managers and various vehicles as a stand in for understanding what they know. For sure. Um, you know, right? Yeah, it was like if you, if you, you go. There's like, oh, you go like, oh, yeah, we got this guy from, you know, Yale Ford. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, you know, or wherever, you know, who's like very shiny and understands this stuff. So we don't have to really think about it. Yeah. Um, I think it was Buffett like, that said, like, diversification is a crutch for not understanding what you own. Or I'm screwing up the quote. But but it's, it's yeah. like that, right? And how do you understand what you own? You need data. Otherwise, you yeah. need shortcuts and heuristics and process. And, yeah. and so that process is on the verge of being upended from data. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's like 10 years of working on this topic for me, like, I'm finally seeing real organizations getting really granular. I mean, that's, you know, and that's actually that flows so well into my last theme, which I, I think probably, uh, you know, the listeners out there, like saw this theme, like wrote this theme down at the beginning, they're like, all right, she's gonna say this, I know she's gonna say this. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, sustainable investing starts getting real. Yeah, I, I, I think is starting to get real. And, you know, the data driven decision making that you point to is a great, a great point of it. We've seen in the past year, um, people start to reckon with ESG's technology problem, by which I mean that many supposed ESG products are in fact lists of companies that don't emit very much carbon. 
which you know winds up being what tech companies uh exactly right like and like no slight to technology we love the data we love you know our, our nice monitors and the ability to to communicate all around the world and stuff but like is that really sustainability um like i think one of the big indicators that i see in the past year um that like it doesn't really get as much attention is esg fixed income assets right um for uh, most of the past decade esg you know has been kind of a non like it's been mostly an equity story um right but in at the end of 2020 we had esg fixed income bond assets in the us at around 20 billion now they're up to 50 uh at the end of 2021 right um and, wow. and that that that's really substantial right that means that you know cuz I, I mean in fixed income you actually need supply of the asset in order to you know generate another like you can't just bid up you know ad infinitum the price of the stock you actually need to issue more bonds and that means that issuers are issuing uh, you know green bonds that are suitable for inclusion in fixed income etf products and the market is reacting to it um and like you know given that fixed income investors tend to be the people who actually do the research as distinct from equity investors True. who are a little <laughs> a little bit more fly by night um that to me is a huge sign yeah well fixed income is like let's avoid the downside yeah and equity's like the upside's bright you know that's yeah, just exactly. a different mentality i i love this trend i mean it, it's interesting it also like just iterating on it with you is like this whole like ratings of companies in this space is it's all based on like relative performance and you know it's like are we really getting clear on who's dirty and who's not that's one, no. one thought. Um, obviously yeah. not. I think it's all baloney. The other second, the other thing, which I actually saw in the news today, I almost thought about putting it in here, was Canada Pension Plan. And if you recall in a prior pod, they just hired a chief sustainability officer. Canada Pension Plan has now said they're going to engage with the dirtiest companies in the world um, to try to get them on a track to being clean. And at first, my crabby reaction was, that's an excuse for you to hold dirty companies. That's yeah. the crabbiness. The positive reaction that I forced to emerge out of me after that is the reality is we do need asset owners like CPPIB, long-term view, 75 year, engaging with these companies and putting them on that path um, to being green. You know, as much as we laughed at Philip Morris's ESG bond, you know, it's like, actually, we do want to encourage them to like stop selling cigarettes to kids in Africa, right? Like, yeah, that's real. I do want to stop that. Stop that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that there, you know, it, like I was listening to an energy transition podcast, um, you know, with, with like a, a one of the modelers who builds the IPCC reports like earlier today or earlier this week. And, uh, you know, one of the things that comes through it is that the sum of all of those small actions that we might mock in isolation is actually quite a bit of progress. Right. You know, it like it doesn't really get as much attention that like the baseline estimates for climate change over the last five years have moved significantly down, right, from like, you know, 2.7 degrees of baked in warming to more like 2.1 uh, based just on market stuff, right? Yeah. And like the governments have been sitting on their hands, like people, everyone's been twiddling their thumbs. It's just been the market. Um, and like, yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, it like literally this week, like I know you're probably listening to this and this is all like everything's changed by the time this is going into your eardrums. But the B, the BBB, 
That's not happening. So is it already back on? Parts of it could be on. But like I Joe Joe Manchin is like always just sitting there like I know. I, I don't want hey, it. Everybody. I don't want it. But maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Come check me out at my <laughs> houseboat. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> I have to admit, when I saw that houseboat, I was like, how much are those houseboats? I'd like a houseboat. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I would, I would <laughs> like love a houseboat. <laughs> the, one of my like big uh you know, like when i'm cleaning the house affectations is to watch um you know video tours of non-traditional houses Ooh. like earth ships and stuff Ooh. Is, um, that like a, is it like a youtube channel because i would get into that yeah okay. yeah it's i don't actually it's not it's just the algorithm is like you know has it knows you. Pegged yeah. for like a chick who would totally live in a houseboat in london but yeah in, in london in particular there are a whole bunch of great you know, kind of, and in Amsterdam, I, I guess, too. But are they the long, uh, skinny ones that people live on that used to drive by us in Oxford? Okay. I know the one you're talking about. Yep. 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 Like, sailboats and stuff. I mean, like, I, I would totally live there. Uh, but I've lived in a warehouse for, like, seven years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Those are the trends. Those are the trends. I mean, like, you know, it's time for hard things. Mm. That transition is not as good as your as your meme sound effects. Uh, hard things. This is what they say if you're trying to build a company. Delusional. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor Oz. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor. You know, yeah, I think I, I am delusional. Um, yeah, I know you're running for office, Doctor Oz, but I uh, appreciate you popping into the podcast here. Uh, my hard thing is actually um, something I've been struggling with for years, which is like, how do you manage the network? Like, you, you're in this yeah. world, you're like out there. Um, making all, and I've been told I have a good network. I have a lot of asset owners in my network. How do you manage it? Like, it's not something you want to do through Salesforce. I'm not selling them anything, you know, I'm not like trying to get them to take my stuff. I'm guess I'm selling the free money podcast, but yeah, um, yeah, we got to get like a, a sales guy to call him to call him. Have, have you heard the insights that you could unlock from listening to the free money podcast? Free money. Uh, yeah. So, but, but I, I've, Keep experimenting. This this year, I started to like play around with a startup called Dex D E X, mm. which is I guess short for Rolodex, but he probably can't say Rolodex because it's copyright. Uh, yep. But yeah, so so that's my first attempt at like a personal network management. Um, but you know, I, I put it out there to the world. Like, if anybody's using a tool that isn't trying to sell stuff, but literally just wants to like maintain and build relationships with key people. What are they using? What are you using, listeners? I want to know. I find mm -hmm. that very hard. I personally use posting memes on my Instagram uh, to yep. maintain relationships with all, all all random people. You know, I had I had something. I think it was called Contactually um, okay. a while ago. Uh, it's another startup, um, and the premise was that it would go through all my things and tell me who I hadn't been in touch with for a while, and then it'd give me like a to do list. Like today, reach out to Ashley. Yeah. Um, How, I found it so stressful. Yeah. Uh, you you got to get the settings like, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you got to get, you, you, you have to go beyond like, uh, here are all the things that you're not doing, uh, you know, to actually, you know, have a sense of like who might want to talk to you about something that's on your mind. I mean, like, I think the gold, gold for me would be knowing who's worried about the things that I'm worried about or wondering about the things that I'm wondering about. Absolutely. That would like to compare notes, you know? What I want to have happen is like, let's say something shows up in my world, startup or something. Like I want to mm. quickly be able to like look into a database and be like, who's the smartest at this thing? And yeah. not just have it like LinkedIn is close 
I use LinkedIn a lot for these types of searches. LinkedIn is, is unfortunately, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I use it a lot. But but not everybody, yeah. like, keeps that shit up to, up to date. And, like, the yeah. search tool on LinkedIn is pretty bad, I would say. You have to do, like, these, like, 10 results per page. You got to flip through pages. And, you know, and then you're right-clicking all these people that you, like, want to maintain. And then they all see you that saw their profile. And, like, yeah, half exactly. the time, yeah. they're it's like, like oh. hey, what's up? I saw you looking at my profile. I was like, actually, I was looking for some random person who knew about, I don't know, quantitative trading. Um, and you just popped up. And then I looked at your thing. And, actually, you weren't that person. So, yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, I get tons of inbound. It's like, hey, would you like to invest in my vegan food startup? And I'm like, maybe, but later. Yeah, let um, me get some AUM, and then yeah, maybe. baby, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, let me get yeah. Let's get to the point where I can do a private vehicle. But um, yeah, I guess that that you know that I would say has been the hard thing for me this year has been like kind of moving from like when I say invest vegan and I talk about the morals of it. You know, yeah. like the, you know, to me, it's like, you know, investing vegan is about, you know, avoiding harm to, li to living things is, I to me, almost a terminal statement of ethics. Yeah, right? it's amazing. Uh, yeah, like it's, you know, and, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, let's talk about food. Let's talk about protein. Let's talk about how bad animal agriculture is. Um, and I guess it's good that people have that association and can can shoot, can like lock onto it. Um, but I, I have trouble with that just being like, but it's so much more, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, that's, I, you know, that, and I guess getting off my ass and doing marketing in general, as has been my subject in like eight out of 10 yeah. thing segments, you know? Do you think like veganism is a concept that can kind of scale with the problems of Facebook and all this? Like I saw that Facebook got dropped from an ESG index this week. Yep. And, yep. and so talk about do no harm. People are now saying like, there's a lot of harm that's going on in some of these tech platforms. Now it's harder to define, but I'm just curious. Like, have you thought about like what a 21st, 22nd century concept for veganism could be, or am I like should demonstrating how dumb I am on the topic by asking the question? No, not at all. I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, if you, if you think about harm, right. Avoiding harm for living things, what are the problems with Facebook? One of them is that it causes immense body image issues to people. Right. Yeah. In addition to being, you know, a, a massive like platform for disinformation, undermining democracy and all sorts of other stuff like that. Um, I think that first and foremost, what a lot of tech platforms have wrong is that they rely on these surveillance capitalism type things in order to, you know, so that, so the user is the product in a way that's quite uncomfortable, um, right? That, that creates fundamental agency issues that I think, you know, Facebook could solve um, but it would come at tremendous cost to it on the bottom line, almost like Philip Morris pivoting away from cigarettes to broccoli, yeah. um, you know, which they're just not going to do. Um, you know, I, like, I do think that there are, you know, like tech company, like I own NVIDIA, for instance, which is right. a tech company, you know, um, and like NVIDIA is intimately involved with all sorts of things that, you know, AI, autonomous driving, like anything that requires advanced compute power goes through NVIDIA, yeah. you know, or their cloud. Now, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with technology from a vegan standpoint. It's the problem with business models that take the commodification of the person um, and like, you know, without their, you know, express knowledgeable consent, you know. So the DeFi, like the Web3 vibe, that is very vegan. Yeah. 
I, I, I mean, it could be. Yeah. I, like, I, I think that, you know, you, it, with, with web three, you've got, you've got issues around like, oh, well, how much, how much stuff are you setting on fire in order to do that? That's, uh, That's true. In terms you know, of like the processing like, and the compute, you mean like, yeah, 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 exactly. But like, you know, I do think, I mean, there's, there are a couple of, um, companies that use, uh, you know, sustainable energy to mine crypto that are on my, Sweet. uh, radar and that I will probably buy in a big crypto downturn, probably not. Not now, but yeah. eventually, you know, like I, I, you know, when you hit the trough, you know, that, 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 that's the time to start buying it. But yeah, like I, I, I do think that there are applications for it, but like, you know, or that there's a lot of relevance for it, but I kind of exclude the whole sector. Mm. Um, it's actually one of my big gripes about the, the other vegan fund out there is that, you know, their top 10 positions are all like Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon. Um, that's rad that you're differentiated from the other vegan fund, I think, you know, because then then, by the way, if you're like, look, what we need is a is like a exposure to vegan, um, you know, not what's the opposite of risk factors. I don't know. Return generators. Mm, um, yeah, exactly. Then maybe they give you both money, you know, just get. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I think that with like ethics first, you know, investment approaches, we need like a thousand flowers to bloom. here. Yeah. Um, you know, because it is highly, highly personal. Um, you know, so yeah, I, like, I, I think it's, you know, I really hope that we get to see more of them. Um, with that said, the perfect sound effect that we get every time. We always uh, nail it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's time for Dear Ashby. That's the segment of the show where we answer questions from the listeners for the one and only Dr. Ashby Monk. Um... <laughs> People working behind me. Apparently, I was supposed to be done at one. I lost track of time. Um, <laughs> um, the we'll be done soon. Sorry. Um, all right. Did you change your mind about anything big this year? Did I change my mind about anything big this year? Um, I I feel like I changed my. Oh. I feel like I'm constantly changing my, <laughs> I'm in the doghouse. It's okay. It's carpeted and it has Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in there. Not as much lately as the kids have been getting older, but plenty of time in that doghouse. Um, I've been like, in terms of like changing my mind in 2021, I think this is a hard one for me because like as a researcher, we're constantly having like our hypotheses, like confirmed yep. or rejected by data. And so, like, I, I like I was trying to think about this. Like, what, what did I really change my mind about that's, like, big? And it's, like, tons of stuff in terms of, like, investment-related access mm -hmm. and, like, what's the right approach to, I don't know, managing risk? I don't know. But, like, the one that I think is probably more personal is, like, this whole work-from-home thing, except for that moment, mm -hmm. witnessed, which was brutal. <laughs> um, I think for the most part, uh, working from home is fabulous. Like, yeah. I don't think I would have said that in 2020 especially like in the beginning of COVID with the kids home from school and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think maybe it's working from home. I actually now really love it. And the fact that I don't have to be on planes to Australia all the time and like, you know, that's good <laughs> yep. for the world and the environment, but, but it's also good for the family and it's good for me. And I'm, I feel very productive not having to sit in traffic. So that's the big one. Hmm. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I feel similarly, like I, you know, obviously one evolves views all the time, but for me, like 
it's productivity uh, and efficiency um, is something I've changed my mind on in a big way. Cause like I'm part of this co-op grocery store, Yeah. Um, you know, where everybody like works two and a half hours to, to run the thing. And every time you do that two and a half hour shift, you go, holy shit, it is a miracle that this place is still around because, you know, something happens and no one knows how to do the thing or like, you know, they're totally out of avocados for weeks or they're totally out of bread, you know, or something like that. Um, and you would think that that would be a really, really bad thing and make it, you know, not functional as a choice. But in fact, like, you know, that scarcity breeds, you know, I, I think a much better uh, appreciation of what's there and, and, you know, candidly, just a much better experience. Maybe this is, you know, the, uh, the way that a tanky who's totally bought into something and uh, not, unable not to update their views talks, but, you know, I've actually heard a few CEOs say CEOs in this era where there's like enough cash, like flushing around that you could really do anything that like imposing scarcity on teams is a really important way of like driving innovation and, yep. and like getting to outcomes that you might not have otherwise gotten to, you know, like yep. if everything is just sitting there and, and it's like, whatever you want, like, are you really going to innovate? And there's a big mm. argument that like, this is actually what the patent like landscape does. Mm. You have to innovate around patents, which means that coming mm. to market requires you to take a novel approach. Sometimes, sometimes mm. you have to pay the license if it's like a standard patent or, you know, standard setting patent, something like that. But th this concept of innovation around a patent is a very powerful one because you have a constraint yeah. and it's like, okay, is there another way we can do this? And so that's the scarcity idea, I think too. Like you, you know, you walk into your local co-op and it's like, well, I really wanted pasta tonight, but they didn't have like the tomatoes I want. So I guess I'll try to figure it out with like cherry tomatoes and some peppers. And lo and behold, yeah, exactly. your cherry tomato pepper sauce is like the greatest thing on earth, you know? Exactly. Exactly. You know, where you try some weird squash. Yeah. Um, oh, I love spaghetti right. squash. Have you had that? Spaghetti squash? No, but my partner hates it oh. and thinks it's a conspiracy. So I'll... My mom makes it all the time. It's amazing. <laughs> For another time. I'll tell, Cla I'll tell Claire that you, you're a big fan. Um, we've got some sitting in the, in the fruit tray. Um, what's your favorite desk toy? Ah. <sighs> You know, if I'm sitting at my desk, I'm not usually like fidgeting with too much. I have some pens that I like fidget, but the thing I often reach to that I think is strange is I have like a heater for my back. It's a really like mm. rad heater. I'm still struggling with like disc problems and stuff like lower that. back pain, oh, yes. baby. Lower back. Uh, and I find that like sitting for a long time, but if you just throw that heater on, the muscles loosen up. And so I keep this mm. like little back heater next to my desk all the time. Um, and I just, you know, get it on the sore spot, turn it on for an hour. And like, it's shocking. You stand up and you're all better. So that's not a toy, mm. but it, that's kind of, for me, what I reach to. How mm. about you? Mm. I have this amazing thing called a ball of wax, Whoa. Uh, which is, so basically it's a, uh, it is a kind of a, a dodecahedron or whatever, like almost like a D Dungeons and Dragons dice that you can break apart into these weird rhombuses and then reconfigure into all sorts of other shapes. Um, and it makes a really satisfying clicky noise. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's also like really, really good for spurring like just the brain because you, you, you kind of can't help but fit it together into ways that you haven't done it before. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so that's my, my that strong buy recommendation, uh, you know, to, to everyone on, the, on on those balls of wax. 
Um, and, you know, this is, I think, the question that everybody's asking. Yep. I've gotten this, you know, hundreds of emails about this. Uh, <laughs> People want to know this next one. Every, everybody needs to know. So if you could go back in time and kill the person who ate and or had sex with a pangolin to start the pandemic, <laughs> would you do it if nobody knew you did it? I think we're obligated to say yes. I mean, you, you would do it. Well, think of it. I mean, it, it's a little bit like those classic AI things where like, you know, if you keep going straight, you yep. kill the four people. The trolley problem. You turn, yeah, the trolley. Exactly. You turn left, you kill one person. But if you're turning left, you're doing something active to kill somebody, yep. but you saved four people in the process. But you killed somebody purposefully instead of just running over somebody that you were already pointed at. Um, mm. So to me, it feels like that. And like five million and counting people are gone, right? Yeah. So even though, like I would say, this crisis has inspired quite a bit of human evolution, at least societal evolution in terms of like our reliance on airplanes, our reliance on cars, like, you know, our it's created a lot of change. Not all of it good. People, you know, are underemployed, um, not yep. wanting to go back to work, all those kinds of things. But it is, it's like, this is the human process. And like looking back 20 years from now, my guess is we'll see as much change coming out of this moment as we did out of World War II in terms of yep. like change to the way society functions. Um, but then again, like, you know, human life is precious and there's a lot of people whose lives were caught very short, not just like two years, but like 40, yeah. 50 years. Um, and so, yeah, I'd kill that person. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like i i think i would just be like hard yes on that. okay you didn't even have to I think would, about it <laughs> i would also kill i yeah like I, I mean you know especially if i get away with it i mean oh come yeah on. nobody knows my goodness yeah like i mean if, if if everybody knows i would have to think about it a little bit more um but if i could just do make a small action that has a big effect like that you know that is like unquestionably positive i mean like i hate to you know uh interrupt a kinky person in the middle of their, uh, you know, their enjoyment, right? Like, you know, they call it yucking somebody's yum. I hate to yuck somebody's yum. Uh, but, you know, like, I think, like, if you have sex with a pangolin and it causes a global pandemic, you shouldn't do it. And I think you yeah. shouldn't eat the This is very or Avengers Endgame, by the way. Mm. This is very Avengers Endgame. Um, mm. And the, the thing is, though, it's not just the 5 million people that have died. It's like, so, so my, yeah, so we've got a lot of like education related work that goes on in this house from like my wife's startup, she's on the school board, I work at Stanford, right? Like, so we, we see a lot of the education trends. This has had a profoundly negative effect on kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the kid thing is probably almost worse than the death. Or I don't know. I don't know what's worse. It's, how do you, how yeah. do you compare them? But yeah, they're both cat. They're both. Terrible. Like kids, the separation anxiety, the stress, the post-trauma that these kids are living through right now. Um, it's wild. You, like, you, the, the like child psychologists here in the Valley are like booked up. All of them are booked yep. up because yeah. kids need help. So, yeah, that's terrible. I mean, like, do. yeah, I remember being, a, I remember being a kid during 9-11 and it was, you know, you had one bad, bad day and the news was like crazy for, for weeks. Now it's, you know, it's. 25,000 people dead, a million people dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's time for a garden tent. <laughs> like that. Uh, with that, you know, let's move on to happier stuff. Um, you know what? What? Uh, you know, it's the new year. What are you thinking about for your garden? Uh, you know what? I forgot this was coming out after Christmas, mm. but I read a really interesting thing related to Christmas trees, which I wanted to share mm. with you. It's not really a tip. It is a tip, but it's not the kind of tip. The tip count of a Christmas tree is how you define the quality of the Christmas tree. Oh, interesting. The higher the tip count, the higher the price of the Christmas tree. It didn't say this, but I think it's almost like thread count on your sheets. The tip that makes count. sense. And so if you have more branches on your tree, you have higher quality and you should uh, pay more for that. So I just, you know, hmm. I was thinking, look, Maybe that's not for this year's Christmas because this is coming out after. But mm. look at your tree. You might say, like, look, this this tree here has got a high tip count. And uh, it can kind of be like a little brag thing you do. <laughs> Just the tip. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course, I, like, I, the second you bring up tip. Um, you know, I actually, I have, I have garden news and oh. I have a tip, which is I, I know your tomato plants have been blooming yes. you know, mysteriously for years. My snapdragons. Thanks to unseasonably warm weather here in New York City, are blooming My again. My goodness, uh, <laughs> it's like sixty degrees there or something, right? Uh, right now it's forty, okay. but yeah, it has been like sixty, sixty-five in December, which is a Nuts. little bit unseasonable. Yeah. Um, the the tip though is now's the time to think about what what you want to grow from seed Fair. versus what you want to grow uh, from you know buy at a nursery center or something like that, and the cost of setting up your own home seed starting facility is basically the same as buying the stuff at the, at the garden center. If you're going to do really? that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like a hundred bucks to get like an led light, especially if you have like a garage or something that you can put it in. Um, they make these great like iron setups where you can like kind of move the, um, the lights up as the seedlings grow so that they're getting kind of optimal, mm. whatever. And like, you know, some grow lights are like 20, 25 bucks on, um, on Amazon, hmm. you know, like really, really inexpensive to get. Hmm. Um, and the seeds that you, the, or the plants that you grow from seed will always be healthier and better than the ones that you buy from the garden center because they haven't had to deal with the trauma of being shipped yeah. all over the place. Um, you know, so like now's the time to like figure out how much space in your house, your partner will let you devote to seed starting. <laughs> Part of me thinks there's a lot of grow lights that are available secondhand now that marijuana is legal. Yep. Uh, yeah. There's, that's just a hunch. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I, I saw a stat. I, I, you know, I see a lot of agricultural stats, um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, like, uh, I guess the bulk cannabis prices since, um, forget which state legal, I think it was since New York legalized are down like, uh, 13%. Whoa. Um, you know, and like cannabis growing is, has just been, I mean, everyone saw this coming who was thinking about it. It's been a gigantic capital fire. I think it's going to be like office furniture yes. at the, after, after the first tech boom, you know, yes. you could just get like air on chairs for free in Silicon Valley. Yes. Um, I feel like at one point I took a tomato, squeezed the seeds out, like a, a purchased tomato, squeezed the seeds out and planted them in my backyard and they grew. Is that, am yep. I misremembering? That actually did happen to me. Okay. That's a thing that, that's a thing that happens all the time. Um, like, especially if you're buying like organic tomatoes yeah. from local growers, like if you're buying stuff that's been, you know, GMO'd or whatever, that's that harder. won't work. Yeah. 
Um, you know, but you can get like, your what own. What else like, could I do that? Do you have a sense of like, can I do that with the seeds in my peppers? Green onions. Uh, you can definitely, I mean, you could do it with any seed. Uh, green onions is the easiest thing to do it with. Cause like, you know, they just, all you have to do is stick them in water and you can have a farm, you know, going right there. But, um, you know, you, you could take a piece of garlic, plant it in the ground, uh, potato, um, you know, the, the general rule is just like, you know, as long as it hasn't been GMO'd all to hell. You can't quite see my hand there, <laughs> but those, I'm showing Sloan a picture of my green onions that are wiffle ball yeah. bats. Um, can't quite tell how big they are in that photo, but they're enormous. Yeah, they, they look like, it looks like grass. It's <laughs> like super big. Uh, hmm. Cool. Those are good tips. Well, yeah. Um, and I think that about does it for us for now. Wow. Um, yeah. 2021. Good luck to in, everyone in the new year. 2021 in the bank. In the bank, baby. We love you. Uh, love you. Bye. Bye. Let me get rain on them.